Hello and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast, episode number one, I suppose, really, of this new series of James Bond film review podcast. Still working on the title, we've had a few bandied around and um, I'll need to decide very quickly on what we're actually going to go with. Joined, of course, with my fellow agents, double O agents actually, uh, double O agent number, number two. Double O two? Double O two. Excellent. Francis Murphy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's me again. I'm back. And joined with Fran, we've got Gordon, double O six. Trevelyan. <laughs> I'll happily be Trevelyan. Hi guys, it's a pleasure <laughs> once again. Yep, and uh, of course, last but not least, 003. Who was 003? Actually, I don't, I don't, I don't know. We'll need to watch the films. <laughs> do you, Joe Gordon? Get shot. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. I'm doomed <laughs> from Possibly the start. That's, that's me. Right, have you to a kill? So Steve, that'll be uh, interesting to see your demise. <laughs> I look forward to that. Yeah, Life yeah. It's a random... I know, I don't know. I'm just picking numbers out, right? You're the, you're the traitor. Why are you... you should... <laughs> Can I be odd job? No, and that's another thing. We'll be playing Goldeneye hopefully later, so no odd job rule stated from the start. Oh, what? I don't even know if I've unlocked them, so <laughs> we'll see. But yes, uh, we are here, as um, previously stated, I don't know how long ago it was, on the uh, original podcast. We're going to be going through the films and doing a kind of, we'll watch the films off air and come back and discuss the merits of the films discussing uh, the performance of the Bond, the villain, as well as the legacy um, from then. Doctor No, first film, first film to go. Gordon, you can maybe just give us a very brief kind of idea of what to expect from this film. Sure. And it's the very first of the Bond films, made in 1962. And it revolves around a plot of sort of Britain's... The British government's kind of consulate or agent, if you like, in this, where is it, Jamaica, it disappears under mysterious circumstances. It's found out he was investigating activities with the uh, interference of American rockets and he just disappears. So the Jamaican contact over there is, is off the air and they send their best agent out to investigate it. And that's when we're introduced to Mr. James Bond for the first time. And, yeah, I wouldn't say too much more than that. I was considering getting the books before this and trying to kind of familiarise myself with Fleming's kind of writing style and things like that. I didn't realise Doctor No obviously wasn't the first book. It was the sixth book. That's right, actually. Uh, so I was like a bit confused. Should I read the other James Bond books before this one? But yeah, I suppose there's not much con- continuity. I'm actually glad for you. You didn't read it first. You've not read it at all, have you? Because I've not is... read it. I didn't. I was about to buy them, and then I got a bit flummoxed as to should I buy digital, should I buy physical? Yeah. What one should I read first? And then I never bought any of them. But I'm still going to, I think, look into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you think I should probably have read from Casino Royale the first book first? If it was me, I would always start with the first one. This Doctor No, the book is very similar to Doctor No, the film in right. many ways. So uh, you would have maybe spoiled it a bit for yourself. You've not if you've not seen the film for a long time. Um, it has been a while. I remember the sort of main beats of the film, but uh, it's yeah. I I think I would like to watch the film without having any scene by scene recollect. Okay, here's the bit in the book where this happened, sort of thing. So I, I might. I'm hoping I'll still enjoy the book after having watched the film again. There's probably more to get from it from little insights stuff. I would probably imagine. Will be yeah. 
I've seen Doctor No so many times, but every time I watch a Bond film, no matter how many times I've seen it, I always take something away from it. Maybe a little element of the plot that I hadn't noticed the last time, or just some guy, one of the extras, oh, that's the, you know, the director <laughs> making a cameo. You know, something unusual that you've not noticed before. So I'd get, I get bored of things very easily, but I never tire of watching the Bond film. So well, I'm looking forward to watching Doctor No again, which we're just about to do the four of yep. us, aren't we? Yeah, on that then, we'll uh, we'll finish up this little preamble. Uh, we're going to go watch the film now and come back, discuss it in all its spoilerific glory. Of course, a disclaimer there, this is a spoiler cast, so if you for some reason haven't seen the film and are listening to this and actually want to see the film, you go and watch the film. And by the way, it's, what, how many years old now? I think you said 62? So quick maths, quick maths. It was fifty years in two thousand twelve. So uh, fifty-seven. Fifty-seven right. years. So I think spoilers are yeah. probably all right. Now. Yeah. If you Statue complain, limitations is quite over. <laughs> I mean, come on, fifty-seven years. All right then. On that note, bye bye. See ya. We're back. Doctor No now uh, first with our first Bond viewing completed. Mission accomplished, you might say. <laughs> um, how do we all feel about it, gents? That was very enjoyable. For an hour and a half of enjoyment, just pure 60s enjoyment. That was my first viewing as well. I think I'm the one sort of who hadn't seen that at all. That was my complete fresh eyes. Yeah, so you had no experience of the, of that film at all before I had seen it, I think, previously once yeah. years ago. So I remember the Ursula Andrus sort of scene and stuff like that yeah, coming that out of the water. one scene is the one I think of, you see it all the time in any kind of Bond documentary. It's the one moment that you know yeah. from Doctor No. Um, but otherwise, yeah, that was enjoyable. It was fun. Yeah, pure escapist fun. Yeah. Gordon, of course, you've seen it how many times? <laughs> 78, maybe? <laughs> 79 now. Closing in the 100 mark, I think. Yeah. I, I wish I was Steve McCall. That's my overriding thought. No one's ever said that before. <laughs> I wish I was Steve McCall. <laughs> Just on the basis of seeing that film for the first time, and it wasn't even the first Bond film I saw, uh, but I know. But just seeing that with fresh eyes, the first Bond, uh, you know, I, I wish I was in that situation. I was just looking for, you know, like I said, when I see a Bond film again, I want to find little extra things that I maybe miss, things I can pick up, bits of dialogue or whatever, one or two things. But, you know, I don't tire the Bond films. I, I loved it. And it's not the longest Bond film either, like I was saying. The first couple, you know, are a bit, um, they're un- under the two hour mark and entertaining throughout. Can't complain. Fran? Yeah, I thought it was it was good. Uh, enjoyed seeing Sean Connery again and Ursula, obviously, and um, some of it was surprising to me after such a long time since I last saw it. Um, obviously, there are the positives and negatives. I think to the to this. Yeah, I mean, we'll probably go. We'll definitely um, go into that. I'd say overall, as an experience, I certainly really enjoyed it, and I think it was yeah. fun watching it with. A sort of a more critical view, as well as just, I mean, I did enjoy it, just in a pure pleasurable experience, but actually it was quite fun watching it with this idea of reviewing the entire legacy of Bond and seeing what started in this film and then yeah. has progressed. You can tell that this is the blueprint almost for, yes. for future Bonds. They've, yes. they've taken everything from this and gone, right. What was bad, we'll scrap that. What was good, we'll enhance it so that the villains get more villainy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
from there. And the other thing we noticed as well, we'll go into Doctor No as a character. Other things, other shows, films have taken from the Bond series, but even this film, Doc, uh, Austin Powers is the most obvious oh, example. From I think from the very start, from those opening credits, I think deserve a, a mention because they're... Yes. When you watch Bond films today and you've got the the massive multi-million pound sort of dancing women and big artists <laughs> brought in to do um to do the music. This is it's the classic Bond theme and the most sixties graphic yeah. design you'll ever seen. From I mean, that screamed Austin Powers to me, I think, yeah. from the start. And then there's little bits and pieces, as I, I think I mentioned. The first words you hear from Dr. No when you see him in person are him saying, one million dollars. You immediately, yeah. oh my God, that is that is um, Dr. Evil. Yeah, one million dollars. <laughs> What's interesting, actually, is, is like you were saying, I think you were, in fact, we've all kind of said it, is that it was, you had your first times of Bond, James Bond, of the Bond theme coming on at certain moments in the movie. Um, of the of Bond finding a Bond girl, certain companions as well. Like he obviously had the uh, what was his name? Quarrel. Quarrel. Yeah. Um, there's usually a companion who's a bit maybe hapless in some sense as well. Um, first martini shaking, not stirred. So yeah, that's what that as well. And uh, yeah, just little moments like that 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 were either uh, as has already been said that were either um toned down or. Um, the volumes turned up in, in later films. It, it's it's interesting to see a Bond film before they knew what the formula was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know? the, the the context back then, we've got to remember Sean Connery was an unknown going to that film, and there was a couple of big names looked at even to play Bond. Who you actually after seeing that, you think, man, I can't imagine anyone but Sean Connery in that role. <laughs> Just yes. especially when you see him for the first time, that casino, mm-hmm. the tuxedo Bond, James Bond. There were even they were looking at Cary Grant at one stage. I don't know if that got too that far. A, a couple of other odd choices, and nobody. He'd been in a few films. He, he wasn't an actor, but and he wasn't making a lot of money. I think, but the producers just saw something. I, I remember the the names Harry Saltzman and Albert R. Broccoli, Cubby Broccoli, will become very familiar to us as we go through this series. They were the, the two producers, and after they first met Sean Connery, I remember Harry Saltzman famously said he, he actually watched them as he left the building crossing the street. He's like, he just walked like this big jungle cat, and he's like, I just knew that that was... <laughs> something along the lines of I just knew that he was right for the part. But it's when I think about when I read the Fleming books, and you can imagine, that's the sort of bond you imagine. I think he, he completely fulfilled the way Fleming wanted Bond to look and talk and act. He... he if he had it to a T with that, as we see Bond evolved quite a bit after that, and ev- ev- everything evolves like like you were saying, you know, this film's a template for a lot of things. The villains layer the the sets, which got a bit more elaborate as the you know the budget expanded. Like I said before, about one million pounds was the budget for that film, and for for what they had and the resources in nineteen sixty two. Remember. Um, they did uh, a really good job, I think. With that. They only had about ten cast members actually making the film from the credits at the end. I know we pointed I know, that, that was out. that was brief. Yeah, that was really surreal. I mean, obviously, did they have most of the cast, the crew, shown at the start? I, I, 
don't know if I'd caught that. I suppose it did with the long title screen. Yeah, the long title. So, that's where all the credits yeah. were, yeah. So it was a bit bizarre just after yeah, watching yeah. the Marvel films and there's about 10 minutes of, uh, you know, <laughs> crew. Yeah. Well, that's probably for everyone that animated one frame mm-hmm. of CGI, do you know what I mean? Because if you look at the amount of work that goes into a film these days, mm-hmm. it's probably far more elaborate now, isn't it? Talking about Connery there, just bring it back on, on that. Was Ian Fleming a fan of the casting? He was. He well. He he didn't initially warm to to Sean in the role, and because he wasn't written as Scottish initially, was he? he was, the character. Was, I don't know if he was meant. Uh, it's hard to remember now. Not from from having not read the, the original Bond books for a while. If he was actually born in Scotland, but I think his parents, or at least one of his mm-hmm. parents, was born in Scotland. Is made. But you don't see in the films. He's a maid in his house that was from Glencoe, and yeah, he bonded Scottish roots and. Ian Fleming then, he actually was on the set for the first three Bond films, Doctor No from Russia and Goldfinger. He died, I think, during the making of Goldfinger, so he supervised things. Apparently, he didn't really like Sir Sean so much at, at first, and he, I think he warmed him a bit, and then by the end, maybe by the time Goldfinger's like, ah, that's, that's our guy, you know? But the, you guys, I remember you guys were kind of amused a bit by the, the early version of the Bond gun battle, another thing that became a uh, um, staple of the series and it, the fact um, a bit of dodgy editing in the title <laughs> sequence it didn't, it didn't oh god um, yeah and there was no like I said it, every film from then on there's a pre-title sequence a few minutes before which is almost like a sort of deviation from the plot a wee mini film in its own right before and then there the, the yeah, song like the, the title the cold sequence opening kind of just thing. went straight to the title sequence and there wasn't um, an actual Doctor No theme Underneath the mango tree came up quite a bit. I don't know if that's that like the unofficial the, theme. It's like of the, the film. only song they had copyright for. It's this one <laughs> yeah, very same song. You, I can't get out of my head. And <laughs> maybe because I've seen it so much. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? What's quite interesting as well is that the Bond you see in this film is not a smarmy sort of well-to-do English gentleman Bond. You're looking at the Bond that is very like the Bond from the books. He's he's commanding, abrupt clearly has some issues as well. Maybe, maybe not. Well, they don't really elaborate on the issues. They're, I know, but if you're looking for them, you could find that. The way that he behaves suggests to me someone... I mean, he says things like, fought in the same war to Felix Slater and things like that. You're looking at someone who maybe doesn't get on well with people. Do you know what I mean? The way he treats women do you know what I mean? in the yeah, film well, is, is very different even to the later Bonds. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about the sort of where the film has dated then. Yeah. Because it's probably, if there was something to to pick at, I would say it's more or less that aspect of it. But it's very like the books, though. Uh, yeah, oh, undoubtedly. And Gordon, I think, I don't know if you mentioned on or off air, that this film is almost, is it, it's like, like scene for scene like the it book? Stays, yeah, it stays pl- pretty true to the book. You know, and the only like immediate thing that comes up that I can remember being really different apart from a lot of the dialogue is the the spider which um, appears in Bond's bed is actually a poisonous a very poisonous centipede in the book which um, they must have just decided a spider was I guess a bit more menacing and yeah. honestly but it's a while since I've read it <laughs> maybe easier to control yeah a centipede I think is is probably more primal than a it's also a bit slow, I think I said. I think it's in for ages yeah. watching it crawl. From a, <laughs> from a cinematic <laughs> point of view, I don't think that would have worked. I can see why that has yeah. changed. But um, 
Uh, one thing, the best part, like a lot of Bond films, it's hard for being such a Bond fan, it's hard to really pinpoint weaknesses. For me, maybe the, the latter third, once he's actually imprisoned, it drags a little bit. I, I always find the first third of Bond films more interesting. And because that was the first time we ever get introduced to Bond's character, I like the way he's introduced. You don't see him. You, you hear a couple of people talk about him. The guy appears in the casino says, I'm looking for Mr. James Bond. And then you see you see his hands, you hear mm-hmm. him, then you hear him talk, you just see him from behind, and then the reveal, and you get that, apart from Roger Moore, you get it with George Lazenby, you get it with Dalton, you get it with the bros, you get it with Daniel Craig. Do you get it with Daniel Craig, the sort of, I don't know if it's quite slow, but I like, certainly I can think of with Timothy Dalton. I think Daniel Craig's is when he's in the seat, isn't it? When he's about to shoot that guy? Yeah, because I saw that fair, yeah, fairly recently. Similar... But the way um, you don't really get it with Brosnan, though, do you? Brosnan, you just see him running on the I dam. Mean, I what I mean is about the reveal, which I really love, is like you see him from behind. You don't see. I mean, sorry, I mean the face reveal. So mm. with Connery and the Bond theme kicks in at that time. It's the classic Bond theme with, with uh, John Barry and his orchestra, which did repeat through a few of the early films, which I really love. And the best delivery, probably probably the best delivery of the Bond James Bond line, blowing the cigarette smoke. It's certainly, certainly iconic. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see if other when the other films have that sort of moment. Do they have the same impact? Because it was, it was quite iconic. Yeah. I'm now, I'm really impressed with Connery in this. I think his physicality is something that yeah. like he's a tall guy and he is he kind of com- very commanding. And I think his delivery is 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 perfect so yeah i was i was really impressed with it we were mentioning about where it's dated so we'll come back to that just very briefly uh, or kind of go into that um where what what would you want to tackle in terms of i suppose we mentioned about how he speaks to people women the way he treats his the way he treats subordinates in the film Almost, almost all of the subordinates in the film as well are black and the ones that aren't black are generally women mm. it was it was the style at the time but it it dates massively yeah. it's very very noticeable in addition to that everyone who everyone had a british almost every character had a british accent now obviously there was an element of um colonialism back then so they may well have spoken like that but there was nothing to suggest that that was nothing accent wise to suggest that that was jamaica and again that was I imagine that being made for British and American audiences, so it was easier for them to understand, but you you obviously wouldn't get away with that no. today. No. <laughs> Everyone speaking with this one very sort of Western, if you like, accent. Yeah, yeah. and as well you had um you know, the Doctor No had a tank on the island that was breathing fire and obviously all these daft natives were all believing it, you know, you yes. know it was clearly obvious. The the tank spoke to people, it was like <laughs> Stay where you are, and he's like, "If that's not a dragon, I don't know what is." And you're looking at, it, I'm thinking, "For God's sake, right?" You know, <laughs> so you know that's clearly what people thought of native people on call in colonies or whatever that they were dumb and that they didn't know what was going on. You know, yeah, and you know, I, I, some there was different opinions between all of us about money, Penny. But I feel like Bond is like on the fast track to a sexual misconduct investigation, like from, the, from what he was doing there. You know, like you know, think about it, right? See if I walked into work, right, and even a girl that was friendly with me and sat down and kissed her on the forehead and was like, you know, do you want to go out to dinner uh, and all this kind of thing, right? I would be in trouble, okay. Right, and I think anybody would be, even if the person liked it, right? If someone else saw you, or if the person maybe was being polite and then talked to talk to their friend, 
you know, even if they, somebody posted on social media, you'd be in trouble. Do you know what I mean? Like, so you're looking at a completely different time there where women and and black people were clearly public property that you could either touch, move, or tell to do what you want them yeah. to do, and they would have to do it. Yeah, that line fetch my shoes i think yeah. it's the one that that we all kind of went okay but, but yeah, what's you know, interesting though i mean that is right yeah but but right after that you had the conversation between bond and the girl where she talks about being raped and how she killed the guy so yeah. clearly the film knew that there was a line even in those days it was like you know a man coming up to take advantage of a girl and, and do that was wrong so it's not that morality was completely out the window it's just that there was a different line to where you would begin for it to be wrong. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? That does, yeah. Mm-hmm. The line has since shifted much further backwards. Uh-huh. Like, it's all about choice, in it? So, where in those days it was the choice, like, to not be raped, it's now the choice to be touched or have personal space and yeah, liberty. The The shoes thing, we'll come back to that line then. I mean, that was quite... It yeah. was the way he spoke. I mean, it may, it may well just have been a kind of throwaway, the way he... he perhaps delivered that line but the fact that it was delivered to uh, a black subordinate go fetch my shoes mm-hmm. it was you wouldn't speak to anyone like that now and it's it was very striking but very right. dated yeah i think you're right about it because he never spoke to like, if you look at the scenes with felix Leiter and quarrel and and bond when he looks to felix Leiter and he speaks to him <clears throat> he's speaking in a completely different tone and it's not just the fact that quarrels are supporting it that's not all it is because there's a point where he's asking Quarrel questions and he's really it sounds to me like he's speaking to him like Quarrel has maybe would have trouble understanding what the, he's saying. The scene towards the start yeah, in, uh-huh. in the the club. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, so there's a, a kind of a it's almost like if Quarrel the way I want to look at it is the way you say yeah. like Jean and Quarrel. But it's almost like if Quarrel was a child. Yes. Right? Yeah. Not not you know, not even a subordinate like See, a child had found something, and you were, and you were, you were troubled by it. You would, you would be like, no, tell, you'd be quite direct with them, wouldn't you, to get them to understand what was happening. It was almost like a, a patronising. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a wee bit condescending. Uh-huh. And where does that fall then? Is that Connery? But they treated because the lines, like... obviously, this, the book that's in it, it's from the book. I think if you read the in the books, um, there's just there's a large element of that. It's, it's of probably it's, it's part of everything, isn't it? It's yeah, Gordon, you were saying that the language in the books is a lot more racist. I think you'd probably say than even than the film is. Oh yeah, yeah. The Doctor No book and it and it's it's got to be at least fifteen years since I've read it, but it never leaves me just the, the amount of blatantly racist language in it, really, and. I mean, going back to some of the... We don't want to make it too negative. No, no, I no. Don't, say, I think it's just something to... It's, yeah. it's a good subject to touch on. We are plenty of things to say that we love about the film. I'll really, Like I said, the great escape is fun. But I think it has to be mentioned that... that I think its its main flaw is just in those elements of where it has dated. Yeah, like I said, and I think that's, you know, kind of because of the book to some extent. Like I said, the book is very blatantly racist compared to the, the film. I mean, you, you, you guys would be shocked to see some of the stuff in that. But I like... Um, I love his dialogue with M. So it's the first time we see Bernard Lee as M, yep. and that closely follows the kind of crusty older man superior from the books. And I love the aggression of M towards him. He really puts Bond in his place when he meets him in his office. And you know the way the Bond walks in, he doesn't even look up at him. He just stares at the table and says, "Like oh, it's half past three or whatever." And then he says to Bond quite aggressively, "He says, take off your jacket." 
and Bond's sort of taken aback and he's like, oh, it's that damn Beretta and he gets him to change the gun in that and just... It's, the, like... it's the only character that really speaks to Bond like that. Because usually the villains have some sort of respect for Bond, but almost <laughs> M doesn't. Well, what's interesting there is that M speaks to Bond the way that Bond speaks to Quarrel. So you've got a sense of, you know, a hierarchical uh, structure. Uh, yes. The world was like that, you know, so, but also because it was very much a generation of people who had come out of the military. So you had people who, like, yeah. say Bond was, was 40 in this film, or 35. If you were 25, you would have fought in World War Two. M would have fought in World War Two. M was an admiral, actually. Sorry yeah. to interrupt, I just couldn't see. He was, he was an admiral. Yeah, and M is Admiral Miles Messervy of the Royal Navy, I yeah. think. So that's a, he's yeah. become head of MI6. Yeah, so you've got a command structure there, and, and clearly people... I, I remember my granddad being a bit like that. My granddad was in the army, and I remember him being quite overbearing at times did, any, did you ever have family anybody else have family members in the military that were older that you spoke to I mean just grandparents but I one was before I was born um, and I I didn't get that sense from other grand, grandpa but um, yeah I, I think if there's a sense of urgency in the scene um, then you know the scene again it's the, the shoes line is, is definitely obviously one of the worst examples of it but I suppose in the other side of it, they're about to be shot, and it's a sort of like giving an order type thing. It's that the you, element of it. Yeah. Do you know what's really interesting about it? Actually, is that it's it's racist in a way <clears throat> that's different to maybe maybe what you see these days. Because Bond clearly cared about Quarrel when he died, right? And they were working on the same side, and he he liked him. Well, in some sense, do you know what I mean? So it wasn't it wasn't a hatred racism. It was a a different kind of... Does that make sense? It was that kind, it's that kind of ignorance you were talking uh -huh. about earlier where you assume that the, the natives yeah. are stupid. But it's not that they didn't like him. No, yeah. it was, yeah. And you feel the loss from Coral dies. Like a lot of yeah. old see when we watch more of these films, guys, uh, Bond allies that die. You warm to Quarrel. He, um, he's quite a... He's a heartwarming character and he seems a bit inept with his gun. You would think when the the fire from the dragon tanks and close to me might back away but no he stays there behind it's the, quite shocking even now watching it yeah. and I suppose yeah. you said he's a heartwarming character so to see such a violent death yeah for, it's for quite painful uh, or yeah you don't I suppose you don't hear it's, it's violent but you know that that's not uh, not going to be fun no uh, that looked pretty yeah. well he was, probably wasn't dead Instantly, oh god! You know what I mean, but it's one of, <clears throat> but the thing, I he was quite brave in that moment. The character, so he sat there. He didn't, he didn't run away, and and Andy had to face down something that he thought was some sort of supernatural being. And the fact that he was running around Crab Key wearing this you know, really inconspicuous bright red t-shirt, let's get that back in there. And he's wearing a red shirt. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that in this one as well. Yeah, there's a lot of Captain. They all look on Bond's Captain. It's just throughout the film, Captain, Captain. <laughs> Uh, but I like Coral, and you feel like I said he's one of these Bond allies when he he dies. You, you feel hurt by it, and you can tell Bond's hurt. And remember, there's the line when he's confronting Doctor No Down. He says, "I'd like to join the Revenge Department, and that way I could find out who killed Strangways and Coral." Yeah. So you can tell he's hurt yeah, by that. Yeah. I mean, do you guys? Well, we tell. Well, we talk about about the actual, um, you know, like the plot for just sure. Who's not, yeah. So I'm just yep. going to say, um. Because what I really like is the way Bond's introduced at the start, the London, a cold, dark winter's night. You first, and then Bond's in the casino after hours. Um, so the but it was preceded by, um, so this MI six 
contact station in Jamaica is killed. Bond gets sent out to meet him. And I like how at the airport, so after he's had his wee thing in the casino with the young lady he meets there, he goes, he gets the plane to Jamaica. And I love the way his allies are, it's portrayed in a way you think that their enemies, Felix Leiter, he's dodging yeah. sunglasses looking at him at the, the airport. You're meant to think he's an enemy. And then eventually he meets Leiter and meet, and he's kind of con- confronted by Leiter and quarrel in the, the little bar. And Leiter has him at gunpoint and he says, I'm with the, I'm, mine's a guy in Washington. Where's your tailor and all that? And it's, I like how you, you do it with the sunglasses. He looks at it. And I do think it's a good Felix Leiter. All the all the big Bond fans seem to concur that the Jack so Jack Lord was the guy who played him at the time. Probably there was various actors, and he. And do you know the the reason that he only lasted one film? This guy, this guy was the star of the the original Hawaii Five O, and at the time, because when I was reading some stuff and watching the making of documentary, the the director and the producers they were worried that Jack Lord could have kind of. Out Sean Sean Connery in terms of because he was quite a big star at that particular. Point he does have like Hollywood two. good looks, yeah. and it's funny when you've got your main stars James Bond, and you've got this other guy who could easily have been the star of the film. It's a bit, yeah. You know. What's funny is that he almost out Sean Connery even off screen with one line where Connery was where Bond was like taking a nice relaxing break, and uh, uh, do you hear this was going break from what? From dimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, use the word dimes quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah. I there was a lot of words that you don't hear anymore at all, in any in any context. Yes, I suppose. I mean, that was just from the setting. I suppose yeah. that was American American films. Anyway, portray oh, that. I can't what, say what they actually said. One other thing was the the um, commitment to ridiculous plans, like the three blind guys at the start walking all the way across the island blind. To carry out an assassination, yeah. so like they could have done that that charade far closer to the target, couldn't they? But they really stuck to it all I the way through. Give, it must have been to give the element surprise. Keep the if you're seeing how long were they watched for? That's the yeah. question. Like, was there someone watching them all the way across the whole island? Yeah, I better keep an eye on those blind men. They live in a very paranoid world. Yeah. Well. Well. And what was the other scenario? It was um, it was Doctor No inviting them to dinner, and doing all this stuff, like getting his women to talk to them, and then immediately knocking them out with some coffee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then he, when Bond's asleep, did you notice his wee kind of pair of looking under under mm-hmm. the covers? That was a strange moment. Yeah. He walked into Bond's room. You'd think he's maybe going there yeah. to kill him. He lifts up the cover, has a wee look, and then goes out <laughs> again. Oh yeah, the the other one as well was um, the interview with the guy, where the guy came in the room and sat in the chair, and this voice was just berating him. <clears throat> One of his subordinates, one of Doctor. That's Nets. a good set as well. You know, there's just like one kind of circular yeah, that skylight in the roof. with the crosses. That, that skylight, that beautiful yeah. light. Yeah, it was for the time. I think that was that was quite an unusual thing. And the the sets uh, was another thing I wanted to point out. They didn't have the same budget in Doctor as they did even two or three films further on from that. But you know, quite futuristic sets. Remember, we're talking about Doctor Who's later at the end. And, you know, a lot of that, I think, was just shot in Pinewood Studios, which was the, of course, became the famous studio where James Bond, with some of the key scenes in the series, was shot for decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were impressive for their time. Ah, they were. I mean, that Doctor No main set was quite large, and it, it was... The casino was good as well at the start, you know, that oh, was quite yeah. elaborate, but mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe lifeless compared to later Bond casino scenes, the noise, it seemed rather quiet for a casino. I don't know. I don't know if in these casinos in Glasgow you just get this 
you know, a young lady in there by herself, like the girl that Bond meets, you know, mm. just sitting there playing a I think the casinos in Glasgow don't quite have the class and elegance as the ones <laughs> yeah, that, um... <laughs> Alright, you want a game? Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who's been to Riverside at three in the morning. Yeah, I know, exactly. Um... I think Doctor Knows Lair has to get, again, an honourable mention, because it was, as a thing of sort of comic film Hollywood evil... Um, I mean, just the the presence of a massive wheel that controlled the the danger limit. <laughs> and there was an arbitrary number. Twenty five was like optimum danger, and anything yeah. above that was 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 too much danger. Yeah, and it was yeah. it was it was right next to an emergency, a sort of an emergency switch. That obviously, <laughs> in case there was too much danger. Well, that's the thing is the guy um, who would have controlled that because Bond took over that station, but he could if he'd lost the plot, he could have destroyed the station at any point. Why was it just turned the wheel and it practically destroyed the place? I was going to point that out. Yeah, all he did was turn the, the danger. <laughs> was it not the fact he actually knocked one chap into the the well, wouldn't have been water, whatever the liquid was, there, and that seemed to just blow up the whole place. Yeah, yeah. So basically, there was a control where someone had to keep the danger. <laughs> The danger level, yeah. Head of danger. What a job! Yeah. I want that job title. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, like, um, I think it's a great film, and it's hard. I don't like picking holes with it, but it'd probably been the that's the fun of these dogs. podcasts. That's exactly, yeah. 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 And I, it'd be a shame if we all went bun, with absolutely. Bun films but. are meant to be a bit kind of campy and sticky and weird um, like and, and you know with these sorts of things it's meant to be that way I mean it's not you're talking about villains who who later on give away all their plans well yeah and, yeah. and I think this film is probably going to be the least like I think they're going to get even worse for that sort of thing in the later films when you get to the Roger Moore era and even Brosnan um, with the sort of over the top elaborate plots and, and, and characters that you'll see along the way I think this one's actually more grounded it is yeah it's, I imagine anyway I could be wrong yeah that's and that's part of the reason I've a great fondness for Dr. Rowan from Rush With Love it's like it could almost actually happen you know it's not an extreme megalomaniac plot like You Only Live Twice or Spy Who Love Me or Moon, Moonraker's obviously it's probably as, as crazy as it gets it's still a great film in its own right but it's on an, another level of yeah. of madness like I said, it evolved a lot, James Bond, and this one it was very true to the the book. And you just can't you can't really imagine anyone else but Sean Connery in the role at that point mm. for me. No, I enjoyed Connery in this. I really did. I really enjoyed the film. Doctor No as a character. I mean, first villain. And it introduces the sort of does most Bond villains always have a unique look about them. They don't just, they're not a, they an have average, a disability. A disability, like, you know, yeah. With him, it's his metal hands. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about that. Are all disabled people evil? Oh, God. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I think we're, uh, maybe, we're stretching. Maybe, I had maybe, to do uh, that. You know, I had to. I had to. That felt really satisfying to say. But it is interesting, though, that there is something of the. There's something kind of old fashioned in the sense that. You know, it's almost like you look at something like Phantom of the Opera. There's someone with a disfigurement. You know, there's the, the, that's some, what I meant. Like, yeah, you know, disfigurement. You've got something strange words. about you. It's because it, suppose it goes back to the stage, doesn't it? How do you mark someone as being different? Well, they're going to have something different about them, aren't they? You know, that's that nobody else has got. So, um, you know, so I'm being a bit kind of tongue in cheek when I say are disabled people evil, but watching James Bond, James Bond, you you have some serious questions to ask about that. You know what I mean? 
no hands. When the Bond's in prison, there he kind of makes him wear a sort of villainous tunic. I call it like the Bond villain tunic. You can tell he's uncomfortable in those clothes, and he makes him and Honey wear the you know his own clothes because he's basically Bond and, and Honey are captured. See, that's a bit. I find that in Goldfinger as well. The films to me. When Bond's imprisoned and he's under there, he's not the one in control anymore. You, it just kind of fades from me a little bit. No, it's good because it makes you realise as well. Bond's not invincible, mm. despite what he's capable of. He can he can get captured, and even with the dragon tank, you know, he's up against something he can't really do much about. All he can do is fire his fire his wall through the headlights and take the headlights out, but. It's got a big flamethrower, and you know what can he do? He's so him and Honey are taken and imprisoned by the Doctor. No, isn't he gives him coffee? The template isn't always that Bond does a lot of espionage and finding out things, but eventually, the second act, end of the second act, he always gets captured. Yeah, he does. <laughs> like that's yeah. the, I feel like now when I'm thinking about all of the films, it's then the third act is him in the in the villain's yeah. lair. <laughs> and I think for me as well, I think with this one in particular, and like I said, I love the film to death, but I feel. The once 007's captured, it's like the, there's no moment when he's, um, when Doctor Knows Got Me, feel like he's really in peril the way he was, like the, the poisonous spider. But it's interesting because when Ursula Andrews, uh, Ursula Andrews's character, Honey, she's tied up in this pool and Bond goes to save her. She's just, I think maybe the water's meant to rise, so she, maybe she could drown or whatever, but it was more deep. They, they actually planted all these massive crabs crawling up her. That you know, you know, you see one of these crabs on the beach, like loads of them. But apparently, they actually had live crabs to use in the film, and it turned out they all died. And I don't know if it was because <laughs> they didn't, maybe because the budget was a bit limited, they couldn't get reinforcements in, and so that was the end of that plan. But but there's no point, you know. Imagine like, Peter had an issue with that. Imagine what oh, Peter. Yeah, oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah die. That's another killfish completely. I mean, but you know the likes of in Goldfinger. Killfish. You know, Peter would be interested uh, in that as well. Uh, <laughs> No pun intended. You know, when Goldfinger, for example, is bond under the laser, going up to his box, you know, you, there's no point in Doctor No, he's under that kind of peril. He's thrown in a cell. You don't feel he's in real peril once he's in prison, but I think I like the dialogue at the table. Bond's a few pot shots. He's like, um, I'm sh- our, he says, our lunatic asylums are full of people who think they're Napoleon. <laughs> but you don't so it's good dialogue but you don't I don't feel like he's yeah. under a huge peril at any point there I like Bond and peril well the, there was an interesting point about Doctor No in the fact that you know Bond says to him the West would or, or whoever would have been interested in your knowledge and, and Doctor No says yeah I actually applied to work with the West and the East and they both rejected me so screw them and that's why he's doing what he's doing so do you feel that you can relate to this character <laughs> well I think do you know who I think could relate to this character Adolf Hitler. Oh, because God. Adolf Hitler Jesus. applied to go to art college and then got rejected and then went nuts. So I think Doctor knows sort of a, a, a version of that kind of person, like someone who maybe is a bit odd and and it just took that nudge of rejection from someone to become completely unhinged. But I find it interesting that Doctor No actually, as a character, did attempt to do the more responsible thing. <laughs> first of all, before going completely off the rails, you know what I mean? I find that interesting. I find that interesting about Hitler as well, looking at history and characters mm. like that. I find it interesting that some of the most evil people in history, both factual and some of them in movies, have attempted to do something different. And then it, that's not the way it worked out. So the, the film chose that. The book had that as well. <clears throat> I find that interesting as a, cho- a narrative choice. 
Was there um, as much in the book about Doctor No? Do you remember? It's it's too long since I've read it, yeah. and I can't I can't possibly give a proper answer to that. But I was going to say an, another thing. I'm sure I'm sure the his first name's Julius. I think that's in the book. They established that as one thing that I Julius. remember from the book. Julius No, Doctor Julius. Julius No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a villainous sounding name, isn't it? And I do like, I think, despite the maybe lack of resources they had at the time, you can say what you want, it's getting 1960s written all over that. Well, like that the, film, but the projector screen like the car journey. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I liked all of the 60s stuff. I thought it was great. And a lot of great, you know, 50s and 60s films, they could be really good at just building up the tension. Uh-huh. And the, the music, and I think this is John Barry, again, who did the original Bond theme tune, which is dotted throughout it. There's good tense music. I like the way, um, the, like with Bond, you don't see Doctor No. You hear his, you hear about him. You hear the name mentioned. It's just, oh, like, it's a bit kind of masterclass in building up to your reveal. And he's only actually, yeah, and he's only actually revealed like in the last quarter of the film. You actually see his face. Mm-hmm. Like with Bond, you know, you know, event first you hear his voice, but mm-hmm. you don't actually see him. It builds up the tension, and you know the fact there's a few. There's a few attempts in Bond's life when Sylvia Trench, the, the lady he meets at the casino, goes to his flat. Bond knows someone's broken in and the music builds up. He's about to open the door. You think there's going to be an enemy there about to shoot him, but it's her like playing practicing golf in his living room. Now, what's interesting is she is unfazed by him busting the door open with a gun. Well, right. it's his flat, so... I know, yeah. but with a gun? <laughs> I like glimpses into Bond's private life because you only actually see his house, I think, twice. She must series. know kind of what he does because she just doesn't seem to be too bothered by the fact that he's pointed a gun at her. Because, I mean, say it was America, everybody had guns. And even, obviously, today they've got even more guns. But in Britain, that's not really a... You don't <laughs> you don't have guns really here, do you? Oh, you busted through here with a gun? Did I? No, okay. <laughs> Are you talking about that party? <laughs> uh, no, I suppose you're right. I never even picked up on that. <laughs> She didn't seem very phased, did she? No. <laughs> I was surprised by that. She just was like, oh, hello, sorry, I, you know, whatever. See if, see if I broke into someone's flat to seduce them, right? Not that I would do that. But let's say I broke into their flat because they'd invited me and then they bust through with a gun. I'd be shocked, wouldn't you? I suppose so. I suppose mm-hmm. so. Um, Unless it was America. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to do, kind of cover before we're, we're kind of... Getting close to the end of where we're going to wrap up. Is there anything we feel we've not covered in this? Steve, you've got a bit of a list of the notes there. I'm, just, I'm, I'm checking. you're dying to... No, I'm just I'm trying to see if there's anything on my notes, which I have now renamed Dr. Notes. <laughs> After, yeah. I, I, I can't believe I didn't think of that part. I've got to give uh, Fran credit for that one. I think, <laughs> yeah, the only, the only other note I've got that hasn't been mentioned is still beats Spider with a shoe. Which I think was just the shock at Bond <laughs> yeah. with all of his strength and his, you know, is is unfazed by anything. Like the rest of us, he spots a spider, albeit a massive tarantula-sized spider, and he still beats it to death with a shoe, <laughs> same as any of us would do. Yeah, and a normal-sized shoe as well. <laughs> does he do? Does he do a wisecrack at that, or is it just one wisecrack in the entire film? I think. Don't think he does. With no, the he doesn't. He no. just he just kills it. You know, today he would say, yeah, that even would though be... there was just a dead spider there, he'd, mm-hmm. he would address it with a, a witty line, which mm-hmm. yeah. yeah hasn't got a leg to stand on. There we go. <laughs> you, beat, you beat us to it. Did you guys notice the the um, the layer of glass above Sean when he was? Um, you could tell it was obviously his face. The close up line, the bed, the spider getting near to his face. Could you tell he was under a glass screen? The spider was actually 
crawling across the glass. I just oh, I didn't. Then, no, actually, no, I didn't. That. See, that's the thing because that was done, and the more I watched it, I think I I might have read about it first, and then I watched the film. I was like, ah, right. But see, now you know it once you you will notice. Yeah, it. and also it seems when it's crawling up his arm, that wasn't Sean Connery. That was Bob Simmons, who was like, what the main stunt guy. And stuntmen were quite a new thing in 1962. Bob Simmons was the... Do you know the gun barrel start? Did you know that wasn't Sean Connery? Is it not? The Bond gun barrel. Oh, right. Did you, did you... I would never have twigged, actually. No. no. Yeah, that, so that was Bob Simmons, who's the main stuntman. Ah, the only thing I noticed about it was he was wearing a bowler hat, which I thought was unusual for a Bond. Because he doesn't actually wear the hat. You see him tossing the hat. He wore. That's, he did. There's another first, you he, know. We seem tossing the hat to the hat stand. He wore the hat um, in one of the scenes. I remember because I remember I'm about to say to you, he's got the hat on. Um, remember now, yeah. I think it was when he was in the car with the driver who he twigged was actually not uh, on his side and was about to. So he kind of cornered him, and he was wearing the hat at that scene. I remember, but yeah, he, he doesn't wear it very often. So is the. Um, the gun barrel scene at the beginning, is that the same one they use for all of Connery's films? Or do they reshoot him again for the later ones? They reshot it for Thunderball. It was that one for that from Russia and Goldfinger. Right. But there's a, there's a good bit of tension. It's a, it was a bit kind of weird, the actual music at the start. It kind of reminded me of the kind of rocket interference thing, that weird noise of the gun barrel. But that obviously evolved into a better Bond theme as the film's went on but I like it it kind of there's a nice bit of tension builds up the whole London scenes. Oh uh, yeah. And yeah. his first scene with Money Penny, Sean Connery had it was quite a romantically intense kind of relationship with Money Penny with Roger Moore it was a bit more just like um brother and sister type thing, just kinda of having a joke, but it was quite And the scene and I quite liked the scene and I know like Fran was mentioning earlier, that's you know that's leading to a HR intervention type thing. But it did feel like there there's genuine chemistry in that scene, as if there had been and from one scene it's quite that's quite, you know, impressive. I felt there was actual chemistry, like in terms of between the two of them. And she was given just as much as, as he as as he in the scene. There was what there was what seemed like at first glance uh an actual long term yeah. relationship there. It was like that was and that's what kind of makes it almost unsettling throughout the film. You know that he's got money penny at home, but he's away and he's uh, that's true. With all of these other yeah. w- any other women that he comes into contact with. And Basically, it, yeah, that's what it seems like, doesn't it? And I mean how many did they pro- at least sleep with? Was it three in the film? I think. In terms of women who weren't money uh, penny that two, he was obviously three, trying to yeah. three is yeah, three is what I'm thinking of, so. yeah. That'll be a counter we'll need to keep track of in each film, maybe. And he didn't just do it for the mission either. That's the thing. He slept with the woman in the boat, the, the Ursula one, at the very end. Just after he it could. was all over. He slept with the one that he was about to arrest. <laughs> even though he didn't have to do it. He could have phoned the police car right away. Um, and then who was the other one? It was the woman in the golf. Right at the very with start of the, with the casino. Yeah, yeah. casino. Yeah. Chemistry's a good word because it's, it's also with just other... Allies of Bond, there was good chemistry between Bond and Felix Leiter. There wasn't always such great chemistry with Bond and one or two of the other later Felix Leiters, but they seem like, you know, a couple of good buddies that you can imagine them go for a couple of pints together. You know, I think they maybe did in the film, actually, but there's good chemistry between them. There's there's good chemistry between Bond and M, like I was saying. 
So no Q. You, Steve, you were um, mm. you pointed out the absence of Q from that film. Yeah, I for some reason thought he was a, he was a, from every single film, but I was surprised as to I was waiting for the Q scene. So you know, was but of course, who gave him the gun? Mm-hmm. Who gave him the Walther PPK? I suppose the, I think that was an early. He became Q. The gadgets thing wasn't really obviously. That didn't take off until I think it's probably Goldfinger then, or does he get introduced? We'll maybe we'll maybe find out in the next film. Like the gadgets become a a thing, but that that film was essentially what his gun was his gadget. Yeah, no flashy car, of course, either. Which is why it was just all, all you know true to the novels. I think it, the car he had, he hired. that didn't have mm-hmm. any elaborate you know, weapons or anything like that. It was him and his gun. And it uses the other great element about this, that, you know, compared to the the books, Bond used his his wits and typical kind of spy tactics, even maybe from wartime, the wartime era, you know, he took a little strand of his hair, put and kind of pasted it across the joint of the cupboard doors. And then he comes back and he realizes it's not there. So someone's Mm -hmm. been, he put a bit of talcum powder on the, the, the knobs of the suitcase so he uses more sort. He uses his ingenuity a bit more in this compared to later films. It's not all you know gadget led, which is interesting and more realistic. Is this? I mean, in terms of realism, what do you guys think compared to later Bonds? You touched on this earlier, Steve. You know, you think it's you know more along the lines of what could actually happen in the spy world. Yeah, to an extent, certainly. Um, like. The the later films go nuts with the gadgets and think he's given things that you would never expect in any realistic scenario you'd ever have to use, but he somehow finds a use for it. You know, a a pen that's also a grenade that if you press it a few times, but of course he does an exact scenario where that pen comes in very useful. I was about to say just that the the later films the gadgets are almost a spoiler for what's going to happen. <laughs> this watch happens to shoot a laser. Wonder why that man is going to be in a situation where it happens yeah. to have to need that. Yeah, yeah but there's there a car that can there. swim underwater or float underwater. Yeah, you'd be like, well, uh, well, we know what's going to happen here. <laughs> yeah, we know where it's going to end up. Yeah, but um, I I think I'd pointed out when we were watching it that it reminded me a bit of um Daniel Craig's um, first film, Casino Royale, because it, there wasn't, you know, Casino Royale's big action scene really was the car chase, and then. The, the car flipped and Bond had to get the defibrillator out <clears throat> and that was very kind of muted compared to what I mean obviously you had the jumbo jet thing but I don't even count that as part of Casino Royale to be honest because it was almost like they'd pulled a bit out of a Pierce Brosnan film and stuck it in the middle Was there not a big chase sequence on like a construction site in Casino Royale? Yeah, but that, that was like your pre-story so mm. again that to me like Casino Royale I would cut that well I'd tone that down I'd cut out the jumbo jet bit but anyway, to get back to it, it, this film, it seemed kind of weirdly realistic. Like, there wasn't anything in it that seemed unrealistic. I think the espionage was actually quite genuine. The hair and the talcum powder, that's probably yeah. something that was actually used. And Ian Fleming probably kind of picked up in uh-huh. his real life. Well, and he, he acts very detective yeah. He acts detective-like. And always aware, you know, with Professor Dent, who... Um, who was supposedly one of Strangway's allies, who was actually secretly working for Doctor No. Mm-hmm. The way he kind of comes back to his office and asks him a few probing questions, he's quite mm-hmm. detective-like. Well, you said it was like Columbo, Steve, didn't you? Yeah, it was just the, more or less the way he came back and asked him that last question. And another thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, that was essentially it. All right, I think I think we've we've kind of really 
gotten into this one. I really enjoyed this. Um, you want to do a quick rating of the film on a five star rating? Uh, give her all in, our individual where we all sit with this film. Uh, Fran, I'll start with you. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> um, I think I'm. I'm trying to think about all the Bond films that we're gonna see. I've got to give myself room to rate them as well. I'm going to give this three stars because. And 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 I'm going to give give it three stars with the caveat that that could change after having seen a few more because I think we all have to form a scale for the Bond films, don't we? Of, of where the what are they going to pivot around? But I don't feel like it's a bad film, but I don't feel like it's the best of the Bond films. So I, I have to play it safe, basically. But I really enjoyed it. I f- I feel like it should be more, but I'm playing it safe with the rating because I don't know what I'm going to give the rest yet. Gordon, I'm interested to hear yours because you've said previously this is actually your what potentially your favourite Bond film. I know, yeah, and for On a long time it has been, but I, I'm in a we- I feel like I'm in a weird kind of trap, but having been into Bonds for so long and having watched the film so many times, my I'm at the stage my opinion goes up and down and stuff, and I'm in a at the moment I would say I'm in a real kind of Roger Moore phase, and for just for pure entertainment value. So in terms of like pure entertainment value. And maybe that's why it would be a four and not a five for me. It's, I think it's a stunning film in many ways. So Sean just looks the dog's box in that film. The casino scene, the first scene of Bond in, the, in his tux. And not not so much maybe on the island where he's kind of jogging around his sort of blue polo shirt and all that. But <laughs> yeah, I think he, he looks so much... I, I think back to the films, the books rather, the original flying books and just how well he fits the original character. And there's a bit of humour. So you pointed out just like one kind of one line. There's a bit of humour. I like the I just like the old school espionage stuff. I love the way the tension's built up. I love the way his allies are kind of assumed to be enemies. I really enjoyed watching it and like I said, I never tire of the film and it's a four out of five for me. Steve? I'm completely with Fran on the need to establish a scale almost because like I said, I'm this entire project, I'm the one that I'm coming into this almost as a complete newbie. I've seen a few of the films, so I'm still kind of working out where I am with it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going three out of five. It's a, it's a very enjoyable film. I think it needs to lose marks for where, as we discussed at the start, it's obviously dated. But it is actually, it's it's enjoyable. So this one, I think, needs to be my kind of benchmark. In the same way that as a film... This was kind of the benchmark for future Bond films. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of do the same and say this is my three out of five, and everything from here on in gets judged almost mm-hmm. on that, and we'll see where we go from here. Excellent, three, uh, three, a four, and a three, and I, um, I agree with almost everything that's been said. Um, I lean towards the four, um, just purely on. Like what you said, uh, Gordon, I think the reveals are handled so well with both Bond and Dr. No. Um, and just as a sort of smaller scale in comparison to where we know the series is going to go, I liked its more grounded nature and just a sort of almost noirish kind of spy thriller. I think it was entertaining and. <laughs> well, we're out of time uh, is that yeah. me banned <laughs> no, no, amazingly it wasn't mine and mine is the one with the broken silent thing well you got it fixed that goes to show how popular I am 
but yeah, overall, I enjoyed the film, and I know there, like we've touched on, where it certainly loses points, especially watching it with you know in a twenty nineteen mind mindset. But again, I still enjoyed the film. Um, so four stars, but. It's going to average out between those two. We'll we'll see. Like I said, I, I agree with Fran and Steve on a, a, a scale needs to be kind of set though. I it's a good. It's a good point, done, Steve. By giving it four with Gordon and us both giving it three, you've actually given us a collective podcast benchmark. Bit of a rivalry going, mm. brother Steve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's Steve and Fran and Steve and Gordon. Yeah, the Steves. Oh, there's a split in the Steves. Uh, <laughs> uh, Steve one, obviously here. Uh, <laughs> I, in fact, we should we should do that thing where like your S one, um, F, yeah, G, and your S two, so, like like M Q, like basically take on those names. It, it would be so much cooler if there weren't two S's. Yeah, well, true. That's what we, we we struggle there. Yeah. How are we going to decide who's S one and S two? Good S and evil S. Yeah, just, yeah. Bags like of evil. That. Or, yeah, I'll just be the villain. You're both evil, then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We haven't worked as well. On on that note, we are we are done for Dr. No. Well, we're coming back for From Rush With Love, yep. aren't we? Yeah. The podcast will return. The, uh, James yeah. Bond will return. We will actually have chosen a name for the project at that point as well. We've got a few names banding around that I'm quite excited about. And um, hopefully by the time I upload this, we'll have chosen it. Uh, so, yes, uh, thank you guys for coming up. This has been fantastic. It's been fun. Thank yes, you thank you again. for hosting us. Yeah. It's yep. been a pleasure, Steve. And now we're going to play N64 Goldeneye, and I'm going to kick all your asses with ah, yeah gun. right come on wait till I get on there you're not allowed to play yeah alright thank you bye 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 bye